And God agrees. When it comes to um, living a Christian life and spreading the good word, it is very important that we should be more than one, that we should not try to do this just on our own. We have to trust in the strength of fellowship. And I said God agrees. Um, He agrees so much that he didn't make himself just one. He made himself three. The Trinity. The three of God. Now I accept that's a fairly unusual image of what God looks like. But I find it very difficult to imagine what he looks like. I certainly don't see him as a man with a big, uh, big, long white beard sitting on a cloud. But there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's three of him. Now, um, quite a long time ago, when I was still a fairly inexperienced preacher, Jonathan Ford the vicar in my previous church, invited me to speak on Trinity Sunday. And he invited me to pick my own topic. Well, thinks me, it's Trinity Sunday. What else could one preach on? I'll explain the Holy Trinity in less than 20 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, I did say I was inexperienced at the time, and God does tell us to be bold. But whilst I was preparing this talk, I ran into a problem which appears right at the beginning of the Bible. It's Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. If you don't recognize that image, that's from the Sistine Chapel. It's Michelangelo's painting of God touching Adam's finger and giving him life. It's a magnificent painting. So I thought, wow, yeah, okay, that sounds good. I like that idea. But then I thought for a moment, and I thought, hang on a minute. Made in God's image... God's got three images. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. We've only got one. Or maybe two, because there are men and women. But the men and the women each have one basic image. So how does this work? So then I started thinking. Not always a good idea for me to start thinking on these things, because sometimes I go down quite complicated paths. But on this occasion, it did lead me to what, for me, was a fantastic revelation. I thought, okay, we've got God the Father, the mastermind, the controlling mastermind. We've got God the Son. Well, we can relate to that. That's the physical embodiment of our Lord. And then we've got the Holy Spirit. And then I thought about us. How do we match up to that? Well, we have a mind that controls our body. And we have a body, and we have a soul. God the Father, the controlling mastermind, 
our mind. God the Son, the physical embodiment of our Lord, our body. God the Holy Spirit, our soul. So suddenly I thought, wow, it's true. We really are made in the image of our Lord. And that for me was, frankly, almost a scarily exciting revelation. And I get particularly scared in an exciting way when I think about the Holy Spirit. And today we've spoken about Pentecost. It's the day the Holy Spirit really manifested himself. Um, When I remember that the Holy Spirit is here now. He's here in this room. He was there when you woke up this morning. He was there as you were driving or walking to church. He's here all the time. And it's something we have to remember. Now, I'm going to come back to the Holy Spirit further on in my talk. But now, I just wanted to have a look at a few verses from today's passage. Verse 3. I thank you, God, whom I serve as my ancestors did. Now, very, very few people come to faith on their own. I certainly didn't. It usually comes through contact with other people. And it's true that Paul had his Damascene moment, but it's also true that his ancestors, as he says, had been Christians. And surely some groundwork somewhere there had already been done. There's always other people involved, two or more. Verse 6, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Now, the flame of the Holy Spirit flickers and flares in every single one of us. And we must fan that flame. We must look after it. We must make it blaze. And Paul here is encouraging Timothy, telling him, go out in faith. Believe in yourself and believe in your faith and it will flourish and it will help you and guide you. Verse 7, for the Holy Spirit, sorry, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Power. Um, Power can be very, very dangerous. I think we've all had experiences of dangerous power. And it can be dangerous for those who exert power as well as for the people they exert power over. But the dangerous um, kind of power is probably that power that comes from a, a very forceful character who forces people to um, do things. But that's not real power. That's bullying. Real power is the ability to act and to speak in a way that changes things for the better. In a way that to lead that makes people want to follow you, not follow you because they feel they have to. The ability to bring 
hope and comfort wherever it's needed to the needy. But power, any form of power, needs to be, ex- needs to be exercised with love. Think of our Lord, omnipotent, all-powerful. He can do anything he wants. But everything he does, he does because he loves us. And he loves us so much that he sacrificed his one and only son for us. Every time I say that phrase, I have to stop for a moment because it's such a, an immense um, concept. And the third thing in this verse was self-discipline. Even excessive love, love exercised with too much passion, can be dangerous, just like power can be dangerous. So we need to exercise a degree of self-discipline. And here Paul is telling Timothy that he can go out and he will be supported by the power, love and discipline. And he knows that this will happen because Timothy's life is rooted in faith. So we need to remember that if we come close to God, God will come close to us and he will help us and he will guide us if we have a life rooted in faith. But out of all these three, I mean, the other two go nowhere without love. And let's just remember Matthew 22, 37 and 40. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And I sometimes think, actually, we only need the second one. Because the Lord is our neighbor. He's with us the whole time. And if we can really love our neighbor as ourselves, um, we don't need to think about the other Ten Commandments, because all those things we're not supposed to do, we won't do if we love them. Love is at the heart of it all. Verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Now, why is Paul in prison? Paul's in prison because he has spoken out about a power that is stronger than the power of the Romans. And the Romans didn't like that. So they stuck him in jail. Um, but he's saying, he's, he's giving Timothy a living example of how Timothy should live. He's saying, don't be ashamed, look at me. I'm in jail, and yet I'm still continuing in my faith. I'm still speaking out. I am not afraid, and I am not ashamed. And there is another point here. Um, The Romans were 
incredible people in many ways and incredibly cultured people, but they were also pretty tyrannical. And the ultimate sanction of any tyrant is execution. It's death. Now, the story of the gospel, Jesus' resurrection, the promise of life everlasting, removes that sanction. Which probably made the Romans even angrier. So we must remember that if we have faith in our Lord and we live a life that gives an example of that faith, we need not fear death and there will be nothing that we should be ashamed of. Verse 9. Verse 9 is, is, is just wonderful, isn't it? And we spoke about it. Agnes said something earlier. He has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. He does it for us. The Lord has called us to a holy life because that is what he wants. Right from before the beginning of time, we were saved by the grace of God. And again, here, Paul is encouraging Timothy, telling him to be strong because he has the grace of God on his side. And again, this, he mentions teaching whilst he is teaching. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. He's in jail but he's teaching. And he is remaining full of confidence and faith and joy in the power of the Lord. He is setting an example of how one should behave. And again, as I said before, if we can be that example, if we can live in that manner, in a manner that when we meet people and people get to know us, they suddenly think, oh, I want some of that, and they might become Christians. He's setting an example. And um, verse 14, this is the last verse I'm going to look at. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. If we are going to lead a Christian life, and if we are going to put to good use the gifts that our Lord has given us, we must fan the flames of that Holy Spirit that lives within us. We must remember that flame is flickering, that however bad we might feel it, it's there. It might be almost just ashes. I remember being fascinated by my parents had a house in Tuscany. And in winter, we'd light a fire to, um, to warm the house. And you'd come down in the morning, and the fire's gone out. But there are embers there. It doesn't look like it, but there are. So you put a bit of kindling, you put a bit of wood on top, and you go and have breakfast, and suddenly, woomph, off it goes. You've got a fire again. And I think of the Holy Spirit a bit like that. 
in those difficult moments, give him some kindling. He will come back into flame and he will help you. So the question is, how do we turn this into this? How do we get a raging fire out of that candle burning inside us? Well, there are various things we can do on our own. We can pray. Prayer, and sometimes praying on our own is really what we want, what we need. It's almost like a private conversation with our Lord. We can study the Bible. And I say study the Bible, not read the Bible. Um, I'm reminded of what we used to be told at school once upon a time. Read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. Um, I quite enjoy reading of the Bible in a commentary rather than just the Bible because you get the passage and the commentary immediately afterwards and that um, makes you go that much deeper into it. Or, another thing you could do is listen to worship songs. Certainly having a positive effect on this guy. Um, they are all positive things we can do. And we must though remember the passage that um, Liz quoted a couple of weeks ago. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. All those things we do on our own are great, but we do need to come together as well. We need fellowship. We need community. The um, Christian comedian Milton Jones, um, you've probably come across Milton Jones as a comedian. You may not have realized he's written a couple of books called Ten Second Sermons. In one of his Ten Second Sermons, I love the way he expressed this. You don't have to be part of a team. You can go and kick a ball around in a field on your own if you want to. Just have a plan for when the opposition turn up. That's all. It's beautiful, isn't it? You can't do it on your own. Now, who are the opposition when we're talking about God? Well, frankly, the opposition is so scary, I don't even want to name it. What I will say is I know I want to be really well prepared for when the opposition turns up. It was one of the thoughts that came to me as I was um, becoming a Christian. I was thinking one day, and I thought, okay, there's God here, and there's this other chap here. Um, does he really exist? And then I thought, well, look around the world, look at some of the things that, yeah, he probably does really exist. Well, I tell you what, if he exists, I really want him on my side. Um, and I am going to do everything I can to make sure I've got him on my side. So let's just look back at those things that I was talking about we, we can do on our own. Yes, you know, it's great to listen to um, worship songs and even sing them on your own. <laughs> I remember once, quite a sort of moment of elation, I was um, driving up the M1 
And I don't know how many of you know Godfrey Bertel as a, as a worship, author of worship songs. His songs are pretty basic, but they're powerful. And one of them's called Outrageous Grace. And the chorus is just Outrageous Grace repeated two or three times. And I was in the car. I'd started singing this song. And I was bellowing it out at the top of my voice and feeling fantastic. Then I looked around me. I was in a traffic jam. It was summer. It was hot. All my windows were open, and I was getting really funny looks. Um, but I didn't stop. I thought, they need to hear this. And I carried on. Um, fortunately, the traffic did start moving quite quickly. <laughs> but singing together, chorally, adds another whole dimension. Anybody who sings in a choir, independently whether they sing worship songs or not, will tell you of the benefit that brings. So we must come together and worship and sing together. Studying the Bible on our own can be a very positive thing to do. But it's also important to come to church, be it a building or a desert, and listen to our leaders and listen to our preachers he says modestly, um, that adds an extra dimension. But we can also join a home group. Home groups are great. A great opportunity for communion, but also for discussing the Bible, for talking about the problems, the things you don't understand, that it's going to be difficult to do in a church environment. To bring up your doubts and worries... Um, I've only been a member of two different home groups, one at Christchurch Morton Hall, where we were before and now here. But both of them are fantastic. And both of them have um, taught me and helped me a great deal. And the other thing you can do is join a prayer triplet. That would be three people who join, who meet together regularly to pray together. Because, remember, Grace quoted it earlier, Matthew 18:20, For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Now, as I said earlier, he's actually there among them all the time. But when we gather together and we pray, and I think sometimes we don't feel the presence of the Holy Spirit simply because we're not really listening. It's the moments when we open our heart and we listen and we reach out in prayer that we feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's there all the time, but we do have to reach out. So prayer triplets is another thing we can do. And we need people to encourage us. Paul has been encouraging Timothy Michael has received, um, Michael Grace, the encouragement of our church. Would he be out there by doing what he's doing on this amazing journey if he was just by himself? I doubt it. And in fact, he says so himself. You know, he, he thanks us for all of that. We need the encouragement of our fellow Christians. We need to be two or more. 
And it's important also to pray together. Pray with other people. There's often almost a, I don't know, a vibration when you pray powerfully with other people. So praying together with people in church, but also praying with our family and our loved ones, bringing our faith into our home. Some of us, all the members of the family are Christian. Some of us, they're not. So praying and demonstrating and showing the power of prayer can be important um, be an important thing to do in the home. And of course, we can also pray in our prayer triplets. Now in this case, they're praying in a church, but you don't have to be in a church. You could be in a field, in somebody's home, in the car, even in the pub. Um, when I was living in Bury St. Edmunds, my fishing buddy, my fishing friend, was a very powerful Christian. And he'd break into prayer absolutely anywhere, which sometimes made me feel a little self-conscious, in the middle of a pub or on a bus or something. But actually it was great, and I just wished I had the courage to do that as openly and as powerfully as he can. So all these things I've said and pointed out, they all point in the direction of why, if we want to lead a Christian life and we want to spread the word and involve other people, it is important to be Two or more.